What is going on, everybody? I am Mike. Welcome back to Network Podcast. It is Friday, May 28th. How's everyone doing today? So I am joined by my co-host, Holden DePardo. Holden, how are we doing? Doing great today. Doing great. It's been a busy week. You know, it's the week before WWDC. Or it's, it's about a week before WWDC. And we have a special episode coming up with our WWDC predictions. But we're going to talk news today. And it's kind of like this point in time, Holden, where there are some things that are kind of like waiting. It's kind of like a lull. You know what I mean? Like the calm before the storm, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But we still have a lot to cover today. Holden, before we do, everything going okay? You're doing well there? Yeah, absolutely. I got a new app to talk about too that I'm excited about. Oh, cool. Well, I can't wait to hear it. First thing let's go ahead and talk about is the iPad Pro. Now, I've had this device. Mm-hmm. It's a week today. I actually have two of them, kind of uh, weirdly, not because I'm going to keep two. I just have two for some reason. Now, the iPad Pro, I have the 12.9. And I'll be honest with you, when I think I, I was a little bit more excited at the beginning of getting this device than I am right now, I don't know if I'm really going to keep it because it doesn't have, uh, I guess it's maybe not living to its maximum potential. And that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. It's like uh, about wasted potential about the iPad Pro. You know, as good as the display is, which there's a lot of rumors about how the display is causing blooming, which is like uh, how uh, many LEDs, like light, not light, but uh, noise around around the display. But it's just it's missing something. You know what I mean? Like it's just not enough Mm -hmm. for me as a user. And I would consider myself a fairly advanced user. Like I have a pretty heavy workflow, but it's just not enough. I'm not sure, Holden, have you had a chance to, have you seen one or have you read any of the articles about this? I have not seen one in person, but I have seen some photos you sent me of comparing the displays, even comparing the sound. It sounds like it sounds a lot better than the other iPad. But I, I feel like I know what you're talking about, which is it's that hardware versus software distinction. Great hardware, but it, that software is just not living up to what this device is capable of. I mean, that thing is as powerful as my MacBook Pro. I mean, I have a 2017 mm-hmm. model, but I mean, it's it's more capable in a lot of ways than my MacBook Pro. Yet my MacBook Pro can still do so much more because of the software. It feels like it has like a ball and chain attached to it. It's constrained. And I don't know yeah. if that's, I mean, it's obviously purposeful from Apple's perspective. Like they're not just like, you know, it's like they're designing products without having, you know, two parts of the company not talk to each other. But it's frustrating because it has so much potential to, I think, become more for many people, right? Opposed to just being uh, serving a small group of individuals or a small group of users. Like the iPad, like I'm using it right now as a display. Like if you're watching the podcast with us here, I'm using it as a display here, which is, I keep looking down because it's the video of holding an eye, but I'm using it as a display, which is a great example of sidecar because it, it's very vivid, it's bright, but there's just not enough like here to, at least from my perspective to say, okay, this is significantly better than my 2020 iPad or even maybe mm-hmm. the 2018 to say, I need to get this. We talked about it last week where they are, oh, sorry, where I am hopeful that WWDC will be the, you know, they're going to unveil, you know, the grandmaster plan for the iPad Pro, but <laughs> I don't want to keep a product or buy a product on my ideal vision of how they're going to react at WWDC. It just seems like it's got wasted potential. All this oomph, like all this go, what's the saying? They say all show and no go, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it, it just doesn't yeah. seem... Um, which I guess kind of begs the question, where does Apple think maybe the future of their products and their company is from a moving forward path? Like, is it in the iPad? Is it in the, is it in, in the Mac or is it maybe in the M1? Maybe that's the the right answer. That's how they see it. Yeah. It's a, it's a great question to ask. And what makes this particularly interesting, I feel is Apple's incremental nature. They tend to Mm -hmm. slowly change things year by year. So when you look back at like, if you look at the iPhone each year, the iPhone did not change that much. But if you look back at the original iPhone to what we have now, obviously there's a huge distinction between what that first device is capable and what it's capable of now, even just looking back to iPhone six, you know, one that's Mm -hmm. really not even technically that far away. And I feel like iPad is in that incremental change, but it feels like it's happening slower than a lot of people are wanting. I mean, how long has it had the Pro moniker? 2018? No, before that. I think the first iPad Pro was in, there was a 9.7 inch, maybe 2016 or 2015, because I, wow, I, have, a, yeah. I have a 10.5 that's from 2017. Yeah, and that's just, what is the difference between that iPad Pro 
in the other ones in terms of like being more of a computer. Obviously, like Face ID, we have better Apple pencils, full screen. Like there are obviously, I'm not trying to say there's no improvements, but in that journey to becoming a more capable individual computer that could, for a lot of people, replace the need for a Mac, it's just not heading in that direction at a breakneck pace. And I'm curious as to why that is. I think it's probably, so it's a very good point that you're bringing up. And it probably has a lot to do with that there's really no competition with the iPad uh, Pro yeah. mm-hmm. from outside of Apple, right? The, the most competition that I would say that they have is from themselves and their other products from a price perspective, right? The 999 MacBook Air, the 1199 MacBook Pro. And, you know, with this iPad, you see them kind of bringing those pricing tiers closer to one another, right? Because you announced this, this is starting at 1099 for the 12.9 inch. But there's, again, it just seems like it's a, there is so much room for improvement from a software perspective. And I don't know if Apple feels it's necessary to move it down that path. I don't know. It's frustrating because as a consumer, I would love to use this little tablet that I have here. It's just great because it's it's conformable, right? I can take the keyboard on. I can take the keyboard off. I could use it with the pencil with I wanted to. I could use it in any number of different kind of contexts, and it's very powerful. But with the Mac, it doesn't have that same conformability, uh, if conformability is even a word. I know and what you mean. I get it. Yeah. 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 I know. But it's disappointing. And I, I guess I want it to be more. And whether it is or is not, we'll just have to wait till WWDC, I guess. But still, even then, I feel like as a fanboy, I'm almost as an, an apologist saying, okay, well, it wasn't this year. They're slowly moving it forward. Like you mentioned last week, if we don't get Final Cut this year, we'll maybe get it eventually or we'll get Pro Apps eventually because it's all about these incremental steps going forward. But mm-hmm. I'm impatient, right? I don't, I want it all now. I'm like, I'm like Veruca from Willy Wonka. <laughs> I want it now, Timmy. <laughs> That's funny. I do think that your lack of competition is a great is a great call out. Yeah. What's a good tablet in the Android sphere? Can you name one that would be really truly comparable to an iPad? I don't know many. Even the Samsung tabs, I don't think hold up because they're just big smartphones essentially. They're not tablets. Yeah. You're right. I think the comparison that people often want to see at least in what I've read in my comments was can you show us the iPad Pro compared to the new Samsung Tab S7? I, th- I think it's a S7 or a 7 Plus. That's because that tablet has an OLED display compared to the mini LED display that we see here. But from a functional perspective, I don't know if there's any competition for the iPad, which, mm-hmm. you know, that's highlighted by two things. One, the price, right? Because the price is not necessarily cheap. If there was more competition, you might see a little bit more, a little more tension on that price where it comes down. And functionality, there's not really, there's not new functionality coming to the iPad that is, that's not dependent on the ecosystem working together. You know what I mean? So like Mm -hmm. when you think about the first few years of the iPhone, the first few years of the iPhone, there were significant changes each and every year because it was brand new and they could quickly iterate on the platform, giving people what they want. And there was competition, right? There was a lot of people or a lot of phone manufacturers at the time for Apple to eat their lunch, so to speak. But with the iPad and the iPad Pro, you know, like Tim and team are sitting uh, like in their office with their feet on their desk saying, yeah, you know what, we're uh, we're going to make a different uh, different keyboard this year in a, a new color. We're going to make a keyboard in a different color. People are going to go nuts over it. And they they are, right? They're, they're buying $300, $350 keyboards like it's going out of style. But I don't know. I'm kind of just mm-hmm. a little disappointed. Why, I want more. I think the closest competitor, and I don't even really consider it that close, but is the Surface. I have a Surface. I like the Surface. I think the Surface is a great device, but it's yeah. much more of a PC with a touchscreen than it is mm. a tablet. I do not like using my Surface with a touchscreen. It's really bad if you use it as a tablet. But as a little PC, I think it's a great little device. I haven't used a Surface extensively, so I can't necessarily comment on the functionality. But I know that from my my little experience, it's more of a computer first and then a tablet second, where this is a tablet first and a computer, not really, you know, not really at all. What is a computer? Yeah, what is a computer? They're trying to bring those things together. But again, it's just not at the... It's it's not the speed that I, that I expect from them. And, you know, maybe part of it is like, you know, you talked about there's no competition and, you know, the other part could be they don't want to rock the boat, right? Where they have this product line where if they were to make abrupt changes to it, it might cause people to abandon the product for whatever reason. I don't know where they would go, but that's, uh, that may be a concern, but I would like to see more meaningful contributions to the ecosystem from a software perspective that I just don't see today. 
Tim, Eddie, I know you guys are out there. You hear me, Craig, help us out here. We want to see something better. Please deliver at WWDC. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. But it is really hard to justify. And this is really echoed in a lot of the, you know, a lot of the people that re- reviewed it, whether it's, you know, the Wall Street Journal or whether it's online, people who that reviewed the tablets, all about the hardware is amazing, right? It, it really is amazing. But the software leaves a lot to be desired. And I would say it's not very much different from my perspective. I do think it, it is a great tablet, but it's, you know, if you really want to do significant work and replace your PC, you kind of got to have to jump through hoops. And I don't know, a lot of people don't like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think for the most casual users, I think you totally could replace with an iPad. Mm-hmm. Someone who just writes a handful of documents, they do emails and text messages, social media, and they want to yeah. watch Netflix. 100% iPad is the computer for you. 100%. But if you do anything that like we do, which is like doing a video um, call through Ecamm, recording into Logic, I want to have Safari open in case... You know, we need to look up something in the podcast. Like, I can't do any of that stuff on the iPad. I'm too afraid that if I swipe away from the video call, it's going to have like a paused screen via the FaceTime call, or it might take it out of memory or something like that. Like, it's just those are the kind of things they need to fix. And with like 16 gigabytes of RAM and a high end or really eight or 16 gigabytes of RAM, like I think they can do all that stuff. No problem. There's really not a huge difference between an iPad and a MacBook Air at this point, minus the form factor. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're completely right. The, the version that I'm looking at you on right now, this is the 16 gig version. It's one terabyte of storage. It's like ridiculous. It's the seller model or the 5G model. I mean, it, it is super expensive and there is it costs the same amount as my 13 inch MacBook Pro. But when you look at like what can you do with each of these devices, they are drastically different with not a tremendous amount of overlap, which is, again, kind of, it's kind of frustrating. Maybe that's the uh, the uh, the thread. It's frustrating. <laughs> it's frustrating. One yeah. question I have, and I, I I don't know, but I'm curious if, if you've insight on this. Is there a difference in the M1 chip on a Mac versus an iPad in terms of the clock speed or how fast it's running? Like, have you seen like benchmarks like Geekbench comparing the two? Like, are they exactly the same? Are they tailored differently so there's enough of a distinction where you'll get more performance out of a Mac still? I don't know. I genuinely don't know. Yeah. I think the comparison would be more close or would be closely to the MacBook Air because it's a fanless design, right? So if you look at the... But no, I have not seen those benchmarks and I have not done that part of my kind of review yet. But I guess overall, that's a very good question. So do the the performance, is it drastically different from an M1 looking at the... You know, MacBook Pro, MacBook Air, even the Mac Mini. I would imagine that they have different constraints, or they have different constraints on each one of those, and mm-hmm. there might be small uh, things, but I would say probably they're they're largely the same. That would, I mean, that would be my assumption going into it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My mine too. I was just curious if there was a uh, a distinction. Yeah, no, not that I know of. So I think that's again, that's my opinion at this point. There's still some things I want to go ahead and, and I guess verify and validate from a workflow perspective. The one thing that, you know, I don't know if we've talked about this. Thunderbolt 3 is like frustratingly slow on the iPad Pro where Interesting. Yeah, like it's severely handicapped where I can get like, you know, 2, you know, 1 gig per second on my Mac transferring files. I'm getting like 300 megabytes per second on the iPad Pro. And you know I did a whole bunch of config yeah, it's super interesting. I, I did a whole bunch of like reconfiguration of my drives just to make sure that they were optimized for the iPad, like make sure it was running APFS, you know, it's not on any certain um, like Windows formats, but I, I did all that. I wiped all the drives and I still got consistently about 300 megabytes per second read write speed, which is I'm like, wow, that's kind of like, it feels broken. Like the, it's it's intentional that they're limiting this throughput on the iPad Pro because I could take that same drive and plug it in my Mac. And like I said, I'm getting you know, a gig per second read-write speeds, which is, I mean, it's three times as much. Yeah, well, it's like Thunderbolt 3 means something. And this kind of takes away from that. It'd be like having 5G on an iPhone, but when you're on 5G, the speeds are, yeah. are you know, cut down to 4G levels. Like, okay, well, then it's 4G. It's not really, it might have a 5G radio, but to the user, yeah. it's, it's 4G. I'm hopeful, again, I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket, but I'm hopeful that the limitations maybe on the on the software side where they have not enough headroom in the OS to write files that fast because you know maybe that was never the intention and maybe in iOS 15 or iPad OS 15 we'll see that actually change right like maybe there's something where some memory controller where they can't write files or read files that quickly so who knows 
Yeah, maybe. And maybe even this year, you'll see more cross-pollination, to use some kind of uh, like douchey uh, business term. Uh, you'll see more cross-pollination <laughs> of architectures and libraries from Mac OS into iPad OS if they're going to start sharing more of those kind of fundamentals. Who knows? That's what yeah. I would think. Yeah. So just frustrating. You know what is cool, though? Center stage is very neat and it's actually very helpful when you see like the whole kind of reframing of yourself and when people enter uh, and exit the frame. It's useful, especially if you take a lot of, or you do a lot of video chats. So I like that a lot. That is one thing I do like. Holden, anything that you want to add here to the iPad Pro? No, but um, I did. Well, I, I did have a just small thought when you're mentioning the file systems. Maybe that's one change we do see is Finder comes to iOS. Like they kind of revamp the yeah. files app and make it much more robust and not necessarily changing the way that iPhone handles like files in the background, but just kind of changing the presentation of how it does handle files and making it more, more similar to how you would expect Finder to work on a Mac. Because there's still the sandboxing. I'm saying not getting the sandboxing, obviously, not having this like centralized file system like you have on a Mac, but making it more presentable to someone and more approachable to someone. Because right now, files is very much just, here's your stuff in iCloud, here's your files per application. And maybe maybe they can kind of pretty that up so it is more familiar to someone who's used to using a file system like on Finder on a Mac. Yeah, you bring up a really good point. The process or the, the way that people interact with files on their iPad or their iPhone is it's a stark difference from what it is on the Mac. And maybe one of those kind of shared, like one of those shared technologies that you would see from the Mac to the iPad would be improving Finder. Cause you're right, files on iPad, it's like when you when it was first introduced in iPad OS 13, you're like, oh wow, this is really cool. They're they're gonna push this forward. Maybe it was not it was maybe iPad OS 12, but it needs to move forward in order to be more robust and to be actual, I think, functional. Like there's so so many things that you can't do inside of the Finder app or inside of the the Finder ecosystem that really need to be overhauled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if they're gonna make the iPad more more of a computer replacement, I feel like that's kind of necessary. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I would agree with you on that. And you know, they only have so much time and so many people and so many resources to to do all this. It would be very interesting, to say the least, to be a fly on the wall and saying, okay, well, we need to do this first, and then we need to do this, but we can't do this yet. We need to wait till 20, you know, 2022, and then there's this other consideration of the M1X or whatever they have. So that would be, I think, a lot of fun to be sitting there when they're doing these planning meetings regarding these technologies. So the next thing I want to go ahead and talk about is WWDC. WWDC, as we said at the top of the show, is next week. It's June 7th through the 11th, so it's uh, about a week from now. And Apple just released the, or announced kind of like what the schedule is or the framework for the schedule just the other day. So June 7th at 10 a.m. Pacific time, Apple is setting the keynote, which maybe if history is going to be our guide, it's probably pre-produced and it's not necessarily live, but then, which is going to be broadcast on, I think, apple.com and also uh, within the developer app, you can stream it from there. But also new this year, there is the Design Awards. They call them just the Design Awards, which is also going to be streamed. That uh, which hasn't been, I guess, traditionally streamed in the past. They have over, I think, like 500 sessions. And they have new things bringing on this year for the developer community to help with, I guess, bring people in as they don't want to design their apps. I think that WWDCs is a great resource, not just for you know, developers, but for, and that's just people who cover it. But for, if you want to just learn more about computing and how it works and how apps work, I'm excited for the content itself. Holden, how, is there anything that maybe you'll be looking for in terms of WWDC? Like anything that you're, we don't, we're not talking about predictions, but just maybe overarching kind of themes, anything that you find interesting there? You know, I, I've kind of, WWDC is very hard to predict. Mm-hmm. I find that Apple hardware tends to leak all the time. But you don't see many leaks for for software. It does not happen yeah. very often. And especially like, for example, with Watch OS. I feel like Watch OS is just a complete surprise every year. Almost nothing leaks about it. And then they get on stage and they announce a bunch of new things that you weren't anticipating. So it's it's really, really hard to to think about what the themes of of WWDC are going to be this year. You know, because I, I, I feel like we say a lot. Not like we like you and me, but like generally, you know, the Apple enthusiast community will say something like, oh, you know, 
iOS 14 was a pretty big update for iPhone. So you really shouldn't expect much with iOS 15. And then iOS 15 gets announced and it's just this like massive overhaul of all these different things. And I feel like we've said that each year, like since iOS 10 and then 11 turned out to be bigger than we thought. And then 12 and then 13 and then 14 were all kind of bigger than we thought. I have no idea. This is a long way of just saying, I have no idea. (laughs) I don't, I don't know. You brought up a good point where leaks for hardware tend to be more more abundant than software leaks. And I think that's interesting because there's so many things that Apple cannot control. Once they have made a prototype or a set of prototypes in California and they need to go to mass production. And that's where you see those leaks coming through when, mm-hmm. when they're in the supply chain. But software seems to be, or at least appears to be, all kind of handled internally. That's why you don't see these leaks of, you know, what the new OS is. You hear kind of, you know, you might hear hints of what people are like, uh, I might work at Apple and I, I told you that this new software is going to contain X, Y, and Z. And then somewhere that leaks out. But you don't see screenshots or actual kind of, uh, or you very rarely see screenshots or actual uses of unreleased software very often. So I think it just goes Mm -hmm. to say that how closely employees value the relationship and the employer here in the United States or maybe around the world, but specifically as you work for Apple versus the supply chain. Yeah, I think a big reason for that is, um, I don't want to be controversial here, but how China operates. Yeah, well, how how China operates in terms of, you know, you look at a lot of the more underground hardware markets that they have, which mm-hmm. literally will just bring components from Foxconn and sell them at some sort of like, you know, kiosk out somewhere in China. You see stuff like that. I think this is why a lot of like Hawaii and things like that, like their products tend to look very, very similar to Apple products. So I think that's that's a big reason why I see that. But I also feel like when we're going back to software, let's say that Apple does partner with someone. They're partnering with, I mean, Epic Games is someone they've partnered with in the past and and have um, helped out with Unreal and integrating, you know, AR technologies into into Unreal. Epic already is their employees have an understanding that they don't want their product to, to leak out in software. Mm-hmm. So there's like a, you know, a, a mutual interest there where they're kind of both scratching each other's backs. Yeah, there's a shared set of ideals that they both bought into that we're working on this product together and we want to make it the best that we could be. And we don't yeah. want to ruin you know, everyone's hard work that they've contributed to the project or the product so far by letting it leak out early. You know, we want everyone to be surprised by it. Like I, I feel both hypocritical where I like reading rumors because I'm like, oh, I want to know what this is. But then I'm also like, I want to have some of the su- surprise. So there's like during iphone season i try and stay like not like superficial like i want to know like kind of directionally what it is but i don't want to know because there's magic when they're on stage talking about the new iphone right there there's just Mm -hmm. something about it and the way that they position it and it's not just the iphone but it's it's all of it where i I still want to be surprised so to speak absolutely and i feel like that surprise nowadays does kind of come from from that hardware so like an example of this i think is iPhone cameras will get like some sort of leak about how there's a third mm-hmm. camera this year. And we're like, oh, but what are they doing with it? We don't know what they're doing with that third camera because that's all software. That's in the software that that's interacting with that. So we get to speculate on that. And that's kind of where that, that magic comes in. But you're right. Like we kind of have an idea of the framework of an iPhone beforehand. But this is going back to WWDC. This is what makes the Worldwide Developer Conference so exciting for me is it's kind of all new. Software, yeah. Yeah. We'll be watching WWC very closely in the next coming weeks and mm-hmm. throughout the summer because there are many times, year in, year, uh, you know, year in and year out, where the things that they talk about in the keynote, right, is just the very tip of the iceberg, right? There are so many things that aren't, you know, in the keynote mm-hmm. that you find in software by doing like this snooping or investigative work. You're like, yeah. oh, wow, it does this now. So WWDC is not just, you know, it might be one day or a week full of events, but it's really in the summer of, or an entire summer of this is, you know, what iPad OS and iOS tvOS is all going to bring to the table and that new year. And then that cycle really happens over again, because what we see throughout the betas is not necessarily what we get in the final product, because there's some things that they hold back due to hardware, right? Mm-hmm. For the new hardware. 
So you get those data mines of, oh, they reference iPhone, you know, 13 yeah. underline one, like, and there's also underline two and three. So are they doing three yeah. iPhones this year? You kind of start to see those, those kind of things, which is yeah. cool. Or like, oh, there's new Apple TV in the code they haven't mentioned before. Siri remote was, was leaked this way. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. Anything else that you want to talk about in terms of WWDC? I have lots to talk about, but we'll, uh, we'll save that for our WWDC episode. Yeah, cool. So the next thing I wanted to go ahead and maybe just kind of graze the topic, so to speak, is that Sony talking through that they want to bring PlayStation gaming to, or PlayStation IP, sorry, not gaming, to the mm-hmm. iPhone in late 2021. And I think the article, I saw another article that says March 2022. And the reason why I think this is as important is you and I have this, uh, you especially as someone who loves gaming and me, someone as a casual gamer, have this like infatuation slash love-hate relationship with gaming uh, mobile. At least I, I, I know I do, mm-hmm. and I think you do as well. Um, I do, yeah. I think it's very interesting. And and maybe if I, if I were reading this article and were to ask the question, when do I think Apple would come up with their own game controller? I would say... Before the end of the year now, <laughs> because if I think about Sony bring right, if I think about Sony bringing their games, uh, their IP to the iPhone, they're going to work optimally with the DualSense controller or the PS4 controller. Now, that's a really great way of differentiating your content, your IP mm-hmm. from everyone else's content. You know, there's this uh, this Backbone One controller, which I still love. I love it. I play with it all the time. Because um, I play with, uh, games on my iPhone all the time. I think Apple would want to do the same thing. And this type of move would, to me at least, signals that Sony is not the only you know, uh, chef thinking about how to differentiate and get more money from customers by kind of expanding their current reach outside of their platform to other, uh, to other platforms. I'm very mixed on this because yeah. I... There are mobile games that I really love. Like, I love Threes. Threes is a fantastic mm-hmm. game. Very good game. Yep. Monument Valley, very good game. Cut the Rope. You know, you can go on. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of really great mobile games, but they're designed for mobile in mind. They're not some ham-fisted attempt to take God of War 2018 and put it on an iPhone because that never works. As soon as you start getting into mimicking a controller on a touchscreen, I think you failed at that point. I, I feel like the only way is to make experiences that are completely tailored for for iPhone. And that's like, until I see these games, it's really hard to to tell. If they're going to, like, for example, Bioshock came to iPhone. What a mess. I don't want to play Bioshock that way or on an iPad. And I get you can plug in a controller to it, but at that point, I don't know, like, at, at that point, it doesn't feel like an iPhone game to me. Yeah. It um So it just depends on what happens. Yeah. So I think in the example, I wonder if this is Sony bringing games to the App Store? Or is this some way Sony talking about streaming content, maybe through progressive, you know, PWAs or progressive web apps, and you being able to play the game like that? Maybe something like Stadia, kind of in concept? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, it, it seems it seems very interesting that there's more people, because we know Microsoft, they're currently doing xCloud. I, I don't have that one, because I don't have an Xbox, but like the PS Remote app, it's a great experience for, at least I think so, when you're playing either on your iPhone or uh, on your iPad with that. So it's interesting how they're going to do this. Yeah, and, and those apps are, are are great because like taking PS Remote Play, I'm traveling, but I still want to jump in mm-hmm. and, and you know play some of my PlayStation 5 games. It does the haptics now, so I can experience all that stuff. Like That's all great. I feel like here it is like adapting games Mm, okay. And their IP to to mobile is kind of okay. what I'm feeling, and so yeah, I don't know. I'm just I'm really I'm really 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 <laughs> mixed on this. Like here's an example of I think something that would be fine. And technically, this isn't a PlayStation IP anymore, but like Detroit Become Human, something that's like very narrative based. I feel like on that game you could get away with just putting it on iPhone because it's not as much about impulse decisions, hand eye coordination. It's yeah. about kind of following a story and making decisions along in that story. Like until dawn, like that kind of stuff, I think could carry over just fine. There need to be some kind of reworking. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The whole mobile thing is really perplexing to me. But the reason why these companies are doing it is mobile is in terms of, you know, revenue per year. It's the same size as PC and console combined. It's like in that range. Like mobile is massive. It is the dominant 
part of the game industry, whether hardcore gamers want to admit it or not. It's not consoles, it's not PC, it's mobile. Mobile is the biggest part of gaming right now. Because it's much easier, the barrier to entry is much lower with a phone mm-hmm. because you already have it. You don't yeah. have to spend you know, several hundred dollars on a console or a custom rig. I and mean, that makes sense, right? But I think the challenge that they have is like, okay, how do we get the, you know, the smaller piece of the puzzle in this equation, which is people who are, they find themselves going to their, their console or going to their, uh, their computer. How do we get them to move over? Maybe not entirely, but maybe it's for a portion of that play to something and then kind of broaden their horizons to other t- platforms. Like I was talking about narrative based games. I was just playing San Andreas on my iPhone. It's awesome. I love GTA. Like it's my, it's my favorite game series in the entire world. And I'm playing it the other day on my iPhone with my backbone one controller. I'm like, this is so fun. It reminds me like I'm being transported back like 10 years ago. It may be, if not longer, I think San Andreas might be older than that. Maybe 12 or 14 yeah, years like, ago. Anyway, it's like 2003. I think it's old. Yeah, it's old, but it's such a great game and bringing that to the iPhone. It just brings a um, amount of nostalgia. Now, granted, it's not a, uh, it's not a new title. It's not very, uh, I would say graphically complex, like some of the games that you might see uh, that are produced nowadays. But still, it does give the developer, right, Rockstar, the ability to capture more mm-hmm. revenue because that game is not free. It's six ninety nine. So I think I'm maybe not as pessimistic about this as you are. I am optimistic. Uh, I say that's probably kind of who I am as well. But I look forward to this and see how it kind of materializes. And I'm not saying that you're pessimistic, mm-hmm. like you, you don't think it's going to materialize. I, I, I look forward to it because I want to be able to play a wide range of games like I really wish they would bring Animal Crossing to the iPhone because that like that would be to me that would be like amazing like I love to play Animal Crossing on my iPhone with my backbone one controller mm-hmm. Nintendo do me a favor here but I know it's never going to happen <laughs> you can play Pocket Camp what's Pocket Camp there's an Animal Crossing Pocket Camp is is on iPhone and it's is it new uh, it's been around for a little while it's not it's not the same thing though it's not it's okay. not New Horizons oh it's not New Horizons okay yeah so yeah like that's just me though Anything else there? No, no. I mean, I, I totally get where you're coming from. And I, it definitely comes from just my, how I view the video game industry. Like, I am much more of a console player. I appreciate yeah. those kind of games. That's what I think of when I think of games. I, I acknowledge that mobile is bigger than than console and PC, but I definitely look at this from a console player's perspective. I remember when the iPhone came out and you had games like Super Monkey Ball and all that kind of stuff coming to iPhone, which that was a great game, by the way, on iPhone. Really, really good game. And I remember getting into pretty vigorous debates with my dad because my dad was one of those people saying consoles are dead. iPhone is going to take over, you know, consoles and people are going to play all their games on iPhone. And I'm like, Dad, it's never going to happen. Like, hmm. it's just never going to happen. And I feel like what's so interesting about about this is the different perspectives on games and what they can be. And like for someone like me, it's about buttons and joysticks and that's mm-hmm. how I interact. And I know I can get the backbone controller and all that kind of stuff, but a lot of people don't see it that way and it, it is changing things. But what's interesting is how it's kind of become fragmented now where you have a pretty clear distinction between a mobile game and a console game. Whereas you don't see that in say magazines versus novels or YouTube versus, you know, movies, you're still interacting largely the same way, which is turning the page of the magazine, turning the page of the book, watching a screen with a YouTube video or watching a screen with a movie. People will watch YouTube on their TV nowadays, whereas on gaming, you do have this like huge distinction and it is just very different segments of the gaming community. Sorry, that was a little long tangent. I just I find it interesting. No, no, you, you're, you're right. What you're saying is that the way that people interact with games is not dramatically, but there are differences when you are playing with a platform or a computer versus on a mobile game because of the abstraction of, I need to be able to mm-hmm. hold my phone. Now, this is, an, it, this is a way to adapt that abstraction or to remove that abstraction. Mm-hmm. I do think that it, it does exist in maybe not necessarily uh, like magazines and you said novels, but it, it exists when you talk about reading a physical book and then reading a digital book, right? Like those, there are adaptions that you take in consideration there. I don't know if, see, when you talked about your dad and you having this discussion about, um, about how your dad thinks this is the future of gaming, which is, it's kind of funny. It's like, it's the reverse position I thought you would be in because he's the older person and you're the younger person. Like I can like, (laughs) like, okay, boomer, like, like, why are you taking that position? Like it's, it's very much a, 
uh, like an establishment. Like, uh, this is the way it's been. It's always going to be this way. And you're then you end it with dad. Like, it just seems like it's kind of weird. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, I, I just like- I have a hard time seeing gamers being like, oh, yes, I would love to interact with this you know, fast paced action game on a touchscreen where I have to look down to make sure I'm hitting the right button. It's like a little anecdote yeah. actually, to, I think will say this very well. I was playing among us, right. Mm-hmm. With some friends, but I hate, hated, 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 hated moving around with a little virtual joystick and then having to hit little virtual buttons. I want to look at this on a TV. So I decided to do that. I decided to airplay my phone to the yeah. television. Are you, have you played among us? Uh Yes. Okay, so you know you can like you find a body, you go to report the body, right? Yeah. Yep. I found a body. I'm looking up at the screen, and I'm like, report it. And I'm just, just, not, I'm not looking at my phone. I'm just like hitting where I think that that button's going to be, but I'm, I'm not hitting it because I'm too like stubborn to look down. I'm like, no, yeah. I'm going to play this like a regular game, and it, I'm basically just dancing around the body. And then someone walks in and is like, oh, Holden's around this dead body. It must have been Holden who killed him. He's the imposter. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, no. Like you don't understand. I was trying to hit this button. It's like that's the kind of thing where I think of like, yeah, using a touchscreen is way harder than using buttons. It's just so obviously better to use buttons. I'm totally, totally stubborn about that. So that makes sense. Do you, what you're saying is that your experience would have been different if you were holding a physical controller. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. When you play your, the Nintendo switch, do you play it handheld or do you broadcast? Like yesterday when we talked, you were playing it handheld cause you're sitting here with talking to me, Yeah. but do you, do you normally put it in the cradle and play with the, I was gonna say the jock six, the joy cons. I go back and forth. I also came from a handheld gaming background though. Like I, as a okay. kid, I played primarily DS game boy, PSP Vita, well, I guess I wasn't a kid when Vita came out, but you get my point. But um, that's different for me because it has physical buttons to it. And they're never going to put physical buttons on an iPhone. Therefore, no game developer can really make a game for an iPhone that requires yeah. physical buttons. Mm. Mm. Another way of looking at it, I'm a big Rubik's Cube person. I always yeah. have Rubik's Cubes with me. And um, I'll never use a Rubik's Cube app, though, because part of using this is the muscle memory, the clickety-clack, like the, yeah. the, you know, the tangibility of it. I could never solve a Rubik's Cube on an iPhone and have it be a pleasant experience ever. Mm, because of the abstraction of the phys- the physicality of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. That is very interesting, Holden. And I respect your opinion. I do disagree. I would just say that. But that's okay. <laughs> that's fine. That, yeah, hey. that's fine because we can disagree. Yeah, exactly. Now, you must play the exact same games and feel the exact same way that I do. <laughs> yeah. Is, is Chad the same way? Like, do you guys share, have a shared perspective? And so maybe Chad, Chad is your co-host on your podcast. Do you guys have yeah. the same perspective? I don't want to speak for him, but I feel like we would agree on the tangibility of buttons. But Chad okay. definitely has appreciation for mobile games. Like, I like threes. I, I like mobile games like that. Chad is a huge Pokemon Go fan. Hmm. Okay. So I, I don't, I don't think either of us like hates mobile games. I don't hate mobile games. I just, it's not what I immediately think of when I think of games. And I, I don't want to say he probably thinks the same thing, but I don't, I don't want to speak for him, even though I totally just did. <laughs> you mean, yeah. I don't want to speak for Chad, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. So I do think that is interesting. Now, again, like I said, I'm interested to see how this materializes over the coming several months because it's the year end. And like I mentioned in the beginning, I think Apple's making a game controller because they want to take advantage. They, they want to differentiate their services. And the best way for mm-hmm. them to do that is through hardware. Yeah. I also think that, and this kind of gets a larger conversation. We don't have to go down this rabbit hole, but as cloud gaming becomes a thing, Apple's going to want to be a part of that. Yeah. And they're, they're just going to want to be. Yep. There's going to be a lot of money involved in that, I think. It's going to be huge. There is going to be a lot of money in that for sure. To be clear, in like a decade, I don't think it's happening anytime soon, but it'll happen. Okay. So last on our list is the rumors of an updated Mac Mini coming out. Now, not quite clear. Well, new Mac Mini coming out, which just looks so classic like the original Apple TV. I'm not sure if you remember that, Holden, but... The first I do, Apple yeah. TV, you do, right? It was like that white glass plastic. So there's a number of features on this that kind of signal a overarching design refresh or change maybe change in design. John Prosser from Front Page Tech leaked some images of the new M1X Mac Mini that look quite compelling. Like I said, it does look like the uh, the original Apple TV from 2005, maybe 2006. But what Around I think was there, yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's got to be around that time frame. What is interesting about this is that there's really the, the ex, you know, this is the the expansion of the number of ports that are on the device. So j- just from a refresher perspective, every M1 device that you can buy today that is a computer, like a Mac Mini, sorry, a Mac Mini, a MacBook Pro, is limited by the number of Thunderbolts that you can have on there. So there's only two, which really put pressure on creators, people that buy these devices to, and the number of things that they can, I guess, connect to their device. So this is the first device that we're seeing here that has four Thunderbolt ports along with two USB ports and and an HDMI port. Now, I don't know about you, but I love my Mac Mini and I've never owned one before, but this is actually just, it just um, is interesting that Apple is changing the design language of their products where it seems to be a little bit more futuristic, like the, like the, the iMac, right? The iMac is without a doubt an iMac, but it looks very unique and drastically different than their previous kind of design language that they had for their computers. And I think this is another example of that. I just want to get your thoughts on what you think of the design language and the change, not necessarily the the specs themselves. I absolutely love the, the design itself. I, I think it is awesome. I think it looks way better than the, than the, the current design. The current design is nice. Nothing wrong with it, but it is very, mm-hmm. very minimalist. And this maintains the minimalism, but it like elevates it. Yeah. What what I think is it's interesting, really clean. It's super clean. What I think is very interesting, a couple things here. So it has this magnetic power adapter, like you see on the new iMac. But what I think they this render fails to kind of observe is that the power adapter is now responsible for carrying Ethernet, but there's still an Ethernet port on here. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's just a mistake or if that's just if, if that's actually how it is, uh, I, I have no idea. But this is just look classic. What is the, um, I'm looking for the first iMac or the first um, Apple TV. That was before like Apple TV was even a, a really yeah. good device, honestly. But that was a beautiful design of the Mac Apple TV for sure. Yeah, it still had a spinning hard drive in it, which was kind of amazing. Yeah. That's how old the design is. Let's see here. Yeah, it was like 500 gigabytes and it was much more of a media hub. Yes. Than it is this, you know, access data from across the internet. Yeah, they look very similar, and maybe this is, you know, Apple's attempt to be, be nostalgic, like they are with the new iMac. I don't know. I do like the design, and I am interested in seeing it, you know, in person. Hopefully, they come out with it, whether it's at WWDC or at the end of the year. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. I, I do like it though. I, I like the refresh design language, and I like the the direction they're going in this design. I wonder if it's because there's, you know, Johnny's out. And there's these new, two new individuals, like their name's escaping me at the moment. But I wonder if it's because Johnny is out uh, and no longer designing products at Apple. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if I, uh, that, the design of that company was completely Johnny Ives' vision. And, you know, new people get in, they're going to have different ideas than Johnny. They're going to do what they want to do. And I actually think that getting rid of Johnny Ives is probably one of the best decisions Tim Cook has made. Really? Yeah. Do you want to expand on that? Uh, I f- and this isn't saying that Johnny Ive is a bad designer by any means. It's just that, you know, we've we've gotten his input for a long time and let's kind of mm-hmm. give people a new voice and let's kind of change what it means to look like an Apple product. And I kind of feel like you need a new set of eyes, you need a new perspective when you do that. At the same time, Johnny Ive's approach of making everything super thin and all that has become outdated. And it ended up hurting the Macs because the keyboard is Apple's biggest flounder of the past decade is these MacBook um, keyboards are, are yeah. atrociously bad. And that just comes from that des- design philosophy of, well, let's make it thinner. So therefore we have to make mm-hmm. this keyboard thinner. Now we're making a worse keyboard. And like they had kind of reached as far as they could go with that kind of approach, I feel like. And refreshing it like that was a bold, hard move to make. And I think it was a really good one. So there's a very interesting point that you bring up talking about how, you know, the lead designer has left like an in, in- indelible, I think it's the right term, mark on all of the products. You can tell that they are distinctly designed by Johnny and they share a very common thread of design language. Now with these new products, obviously they're not out yet, but the iPhone, like you think about these products that have a very long life cycle, like, you know, this is 2021, uh, we're coming up on the iPhone, the iPhone 13. There's a very good chance uh, with high degree certainty, they're working on the iPhone 15 at this point, right? Because they're talking about components. They have to find all the components and all that stuff. Have they already started thinking about design of the iPhone 15 or are we behind the ball, so to speak, where the next iPhone is going to look a little bit like this, you know, or mostly like this, but just maybe a little bit different. I would like to see that refresh design be translated into the iPhone and see what that would look like. I would be very interested in that. 
Absolutely. It's also one of the reasons why I'm interested in the Apple Watch, new Apple Watch design for Series 7 yeah. that's being rumored, because I think that will definitely be the vision of these new guys um, coming in. The iMac, I feel like, like, the end result, at least, is the vision of these these new guys. And it's it's taking mm-hmm. Apple in a different direction. Although I'm not a big fan of those Apple Watch Series 7 designs, but it is exciting to at least see like a new frontier for, for Apple. It is. But you know what wasn't redesigned? It was the Apple TV. That still looks the same. It's just a black box. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't need to change though. It 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 should be incognito. I don't even keep mine visible in my entertainment center. It's velcroed behind my entertainment center. Oh wow, that's serious. Yeah, I just want it out of you completely. Yeah, holding the minimalist. I don't know if I would have thought that. I also velcroed my switch dock to the back of the entertainment center. So when I switch put my switch in there, oh, I just reach behind and dock it back there, and it works great. Do you have your PlayStation docked or not dock, but like um, mounted? No, because um, of my entertainment center and the way it's laid out, I, I have to put it vertical. Mm, okay. Um, horizontal, I mean, sorry, horizontal underneath. Yeah. And I, I don't like the PlayStation 5 design, though. I wish I could hide it, but it's too big to hide anywhere. <laughs> so I'll tell you that Instagram advertising is probably, uh, it's they have the most lockstep business. No one can beat their advertising because I get ads for mounting my PlayStation playstation skins i'm like wow you guys really know me as an individual like so if you want i'll send you the i'll send you the links to the products they 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 know what they're selling yeah if i could hide that thing oh that'd be awesome yeah it's it's huge and ugly yeah i agree and not many people have that opinion but i'm not a not a fan of the ps5 design at least i had the digital one where it's more symmetrical <laughs> it doesn't have yeah. that it's not the hunchback of notre dame in console yeah. form yeah i hear you Hold it. Let's hear about this app that you're t- that you had me so kind of waited with bated breath. I'm like very interested. In what it is. What it is so small. It deserves no level of hype. <laughs> but I am enjoying it. Um, so I'm a big fan of Fantastical. That's my calendar app of choice. I even pay for the yearly subscription. I just justify it in terms of like it's like buying a planner every year. But I really like the features it offers. I love the Apple Watch app and the complications are just amazing. I, I really love Flexbits, who makes that. And they released a major update to their contacts app called yeah. CardHop. Mm-hmm. And man, CardHop is really, really good. It's not this like revolutionary, you know, approach to contacts, but it's really clean and it offers a good amount of utility, I think, in a few mm-hmm. ways. Yeah. Like you can set up widgets that are completely customized where you put a certain set of like contacts that you want on there and what you want that button press to access. So if you want to access, you know, DMing them on Twitter, you can do that. If you want to have it going to, to, uh, you know, a FaceTime audio call, you can, you can customize it however you want. So hit that button. It does whatever you want. It syncs across all of your devices. So there's an iPad version, a Mac version, an iPhone version, and it takes from, Fantastical, the ability to keep your contacts in your menu bar. So you can just click on um, card hop in the menu bar and you just see the list of all your contacts or you can choose which folder you want it to show. And then you can type in there as well, whatever command you want. So you can just say FaceTime Michael and then it will start to FaceTime call you right from the little like search bar at the top of your contacts app. It's just really clean. I really like it a lot. But there's one feature that I wish Apple had implemented in their own contacts app. This makes so much sense. Let me set up the problem for you and then I'll offer their solution. The contacts app lets you put in all this information about yourself from your phone numbers to your email addresses, your work email, your social media handles, your address. You can put in like if you use Siri nicknames, you could have like your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your grandma, like like kind of listed there. But then you go to say, hey, send me your contact card, send me your information. And it's like, well, I want to send this information, but I don't I don't need you, Michael, to know who my grandma is in in my contacts. Like it is too much information sending these people. If I'm sending someone a business-related contact, I don't need it to have my address and my my personal emails. I just want it to be my work emails. So what CardHop does is you actually make different business cards yep. with different purposes. And then you can share those out to people and you choose exactly what information you want to be on that business card. So if you want it to be just your phone number, you can do one that's just your phone number. If you want it to be your phone number, your social media handles, your, you know, your email address, you can send out that one instead. So I, I made kind of a different versions of my contact card that I would like to send out. That is awesome. I can't stand sending a contact card to somebody 
and having it send everything in there. Because I like having all the data in my contact card, but I don't necessarily need to share that with everyone. I don't need everyone to know my home address. I don't think that's too much to ask. Like, hey, let's work in the school project together. Uh, let's trade numbers. By the way, this is where I live. No, thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do that. So uh, I, I did download Card Hop the other day because uh, I, I, like you, subscribe to Flexbits, which is interesting. We should we should put the recurring meeting for the podcast on the calendar. Oh, yeah, so we, we should. Yeah. yeah. But I didn't set up the the shortcuts. That's what I was just doing when you were talking about. I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't even know that. And that is really cool. Mm-hmm. What I think Apple kind of struggles with, you know, the there's this kind of like V card where, you know, this is me and here's my contact information. Apple's feels like they're just scratching the surface with it. And they've never done a tremendous job of kind of addressing this. And I, I would hope that in kind of the uh, modernization and life cycle of updating messages, that's part of it. Where mm-hmm. you, you get this like um you get this like rich presence of what the, who the person is whether they're online like are are they available can you talk to them could you call them that would be really cool and I'd like to see that in, in some type of update for contacts slash messages. I don't want the online portion of it, but yeah, all that the rest of that sounds great. <laughs> uh, I I agree with you, but uh, what if you wanted to um like what if you wanted to play a game like with someone who's in your they call it game center like it would show you if they're online or what game they're playing or something like that just a just an idea. Yeah. I even turn the stuff off on my PlayStation and my Switch. I'm a very, I'm a, I'm a recluse in a lot of ways. I'm a very, I keep to myself a lot. And okay. I don't know, like sometimes like I want to play a game and I just want to play a game. I don't want to worry about someone chiming in and, you know, voice messaging me in the middle of my game because like, it's not that I don't want to, it's not that I don't like you or anything like that. It's just like, I want to play Mass Effect and, and it's going to be hard to talk to you and oh, make these God. decisions in Mass Effect. So yeah, I'm a total asshole. Sorry. I don't know if actually, I don't know if I've ever cursed you before, but I don't know. Like I just, so I keep that stuff on. Chad gives me crap for it all the time. And on Discord, I do the same thing. And people ask me like, why are you always invisible? It's like, cause I just want to do my thing. And I don't like, I don't know, like if we're going to play a game together, I'll reach out to you be like, Hey, let's play a game. Or you can text me like, Hey, let's play a game. And I'll let you know if I'm available or not. Like, yeah, I don't know. Well, so now if I ever see you online, I'm, I'm too scared. I will never. (laughs) (laughs) Cause I don't want to be that guy. Like, Oh my God, Mike's Mike's online. He wants to play animal crossing. No, (laughs) well, Part of it, <laughs> part of it stems from back when Facebook was a thing, and they had this online, you know, functionality. There was yeah. this guy I worked with, and literally, as soon as I logged in, within like a second, he's messaging me and like wanting these chats. And I'm like, dude, I just, I just came here to check something really quickly, and now I feel like a huge jerk for not wanting to to talk to you. And yeah. he was a little stalker. It was kind of strange. I ended up deleting him as a friend at one point because he was like doing it way too much. It was annoying me. And, and then he literally added me as a friend within a minute of me deleting him. Wow. <laughs> it was really, really strange. Yeah. Wow. That's serious. Yeah. It, yeah, it was very serious. I, I honestly felt very creeped out. Anyway, that, that, that went there. <laughs> awesome. Well, Holden, thank you for uh, introducing or re- reintroducing us to Flexbits and Card Hop. Yeah. Holden, can you tell me where can everyone find you at? Apparently not on PlayStation or Nintendo no. or anywhere. Yeah, yeah, not on PlayStation. <laughs> um, not on PlayStation. No, no, I'm uh, I'm on uh, Twitter at Holden Depardo. I'm also I do a video game podcast called At Respawning Fire. You can catch me there. Um, we talk about video games and all sorts of stuff. We also have some breakdowns of the Apple Epic stuff if you're interested in that and kind of interested in Apple stuff and want to hear about that. I talk about that there. Yeah. Awesome, Holden. Thank you very much for joining me today and talking with some Apple stuff. Uh, Everyone, thank you very much for listening in, and we will talk to you soon. Have a good one. See you.